Well, thanks, Alex. Today, I want to talk to you about giving your soul a cardio workout, that is increasing your heart for God. The good news is that if you don't like physical exercise, giving your soul a cardio workout doesn't require you to get off the couch. It's not without effort, but it doesn't usually make you break out in a sweat. The other bit of good news is that like physical exercise, when you do it, it will increase your joy. So how do you give your soul a cardio workout? The answer, pray in the spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, how does this fit into this week? On Monday, we started with the question, what's God doing in me right now in this season? And we saw the answer is that Jesus is transforming me into his image by his spirit with ever increasing glory. And then yesterday we thought, well, how is Jesus doing this? We saw that it's transformation by contemplation. Jesus transforms me by his word, by his spirit, in my obedience amongst his people. And we explored the different ways of letting the spirit wield his sword, the word of God, in your life. Today I want to talk about prayer. Why prayer? Because at first it does not seem to fit the package of transformed through his word, by his spirit, in obedience amongst his people. Prayer doesn't get mentioned in that. So why are we talking about prayer today? The answer is because prayer does something to the person praying. It's not the main point of prayer, but it is a byproduct. When you pray in the spirit, you are consciously aligning yourself with God's purposes, and that's transformative in your life. The act of bringing prayers to God grows and shapes your heart. Spending time praying to God in the spirit is like running several laps around the block or doing a session in the gym in God's training program. It's a cardio workout for your soul. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. But let me be honest about prayer. I, I speak to you today not as a prayer warrior, not even as someone who experiences victory in the discipline of prayer very often. I speak as a struggler in prayer. I'd like to say I struggle in prayer because that's biblical. Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4, verse 22, is described as always wrestling in prayer for his Colossian brothers and sisters. But the reality is I struggle with prayer. I've resolved to pray more diligently, frequently in private and occasionally in public. And yet the struggle goes on. The weird thing about prayer is that I struggle with something that's such a privilege. What an astounding privilege it is to speak to the one true living God and that he would listen. And yet that's the assurance we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet I still struggle to be devoted to prayer. And I feel the woeful inadequacy of my prayer life, the terribly narrow focus often of my prayers. I mean, who's praying for all the people in the EU? Who's praying for the people in your church? Who's praying for all the missionaries and LRLR workers that we know? Who's praying for all the non-Christians in our neighbourhoods? I feel like there's this great, big, glorious lake in front of me called a devoted prayer life in which I feel I ought to be joyfully swimming about. But when I, when I think about what I'm actually doing, I feel like I'm standing on the edges, falling over here and there, landing face first. And sometimes I'm standing on my head, with my nose under the water, so unfitting is my pattern of prayer compared to what it should be or what it could be, 
what it ought to be. Anyone else feel like that? What's the answer? Well, like all feelings, the answer is to take that experience to the Christian scriptures and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Theologically, how should I think about my experience of prayer? Uh, Graham Goldsworthy, in a really useful little book called Prayer and the Knowledge of God, he has some helpful questions on prayer and he relates them to our knowledge of the gospel. I've reproduced some of his questions there on your outline on page 23. First, he asks, when you think about your practice of prayer and the problems you experience, do you mainly consider what you are like as a praying Christian or what God is like? as our heavenly father who saves us? Am I more concerned with my lack of devotion, the poverty of my prayer life, or am I remembering that God who saved me in Jesus is compassionate and merciful and full of steadfast love and forgives all my failings? Second, he asks, when you have doubts about whether God hears your prayers, do you think mainly about how faithful and good a praying person you are or how faithful and acceptable to God Jesus was on your behalf? That is, have I started believing that God will only hear my prayers and answer them when I reach a certain level of godliness, if I pray regularly enough in a certain way or for a certain period of time or with a certain intensity? Or do I actually remember how perfectly acceptable Jesus was to God and that my prayers are prayed in his name. Third question he asks, when you think about your relationship with God as a praying person, do you think mainly about your practice of approaching God in prayer or your mediator who makes prayer possible through his intercessions for you? So have I just forgotten that Jesus intercedes for his people with his heavenly father? Have I slipped into thinking that it's, just me and God, and that I have to somehow earn his ear when Jesus is actually the one who is our mediator, who brings our prayers to our Heavenly Father. You see the problem. We are so focused on ourselves and get all muddled in our grasp of spiritual realities. We need to grasp again the gospel of the Lord Jesus, because in grasping more deeply the truths that God tells us in the gospel, we experience a release from our self-imposed burdens about prayer. So first of all, then, embrace God's grace. Every part of your life as a Christian depends on God's undeserved kindness to you. Because of the Lord Jesus, he treats us as we don't deserve. We don't deserve to have our sins forgiven. We haven't earned his steadfast love. You haven't been adopted into his family based on merit or trying hard. It's all from his grace, his kindness towards us in the Lord Jesus, flowing out of his deep love for you. So why do you think your prayer life is somehow in a different category? I know the reality that my prayers are inconsistent and not what I wish they were, but does that mean I've fallen out of favour with God? Does it mean he loves me less? that he listens to me less? Not at all. Because my standing with God is not based on my effort. It's entirely based on the work of Jesus. And he's paid completely for all my failings. In him, I stand righteous, pure, blameless, 
It is a miracle. It's a miracle of God's grace. Romans 8, chapter 1 is, is adamant. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That's you if you've put your trust in him. Or Romans 8, 31, 33. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. That's you. Or Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. God has dealt with our guilt. Jesus went to his death for it. Your guilt has gone. Hallelujah. So embrace God's grace. Don't be paralyzed by a guilt that Jesus has actually taken away. You are free in him. You're forgiven, made new. That's the first encouragement from God's gospel. Embrace his grace. Second encouragement from the gospel is this. Remember that God prays for you. I find this very encouraging when I'm struggling in my own prayers. Now, I know the idea that God prays for you sounds strange. How can God pray to himself? What's that about? Well, we have to remember that the one true living God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God tells us in his word that Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit are both active in prayer for us. So Romans 8 verse 34 and Hebrews 7 verse 25 tells us that Jesus is in the Father's presence interceding for us. He's praying for us. And in Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27, we're told that the Holy Spirit within us intercedes for God's people, especially in those moments where we just don't know what to pray. So when I'm struggling in prayer, it humbles me to remember that Jesus and the Spirit don't cease praying for me. It humbles me, it makes me thankful, and it comforts me. Even when I find it hard to pray, God doesn't give up on me, not at all. The Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit continue to remember me before my Heavenly Father. And rather than that being a truth that makes me go, cool, I guess it doesn't matter whether I pray or not, the Spirit and Jesus can carry the prayer can for me, it actually works the other way for me. It encourages me to pray. It doesn't matter how fumbling or paltry my prayers are because they're caught up in the perfect prayers of Jesus and the Spirit. And that encourages me to keep on even in my faltering prayers because when you're on team Jesus and the Spirit, it doesn't matter how meager my prayers because they're caught up into the perfect prayers of Jesus and his spirit for us. So embrace God's grace and remember God's prayers. It's only in light of those truths of God's grace towards us in the Lord Jesus that we can then turn to God's encouragements to not give up praying. I've put a selection there on page 24 of your outline, I'm just, but actually I'm just going to really focus on the first one from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. 
Paul says there, pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Before we get to the pray in the spirit bit, notice first from that verse how many all and everys there are in that verse. Pray in the spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. Keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. But now the tone of this verse is, is not really a command, as though Paul's saying, now listen here, you better be praying 24-7 or you're going to be falling short. Now the context in Ephesians 6 is spiritual warfare. We're being encouraged here in the face of the genuine spiritual battle we face to not give up praying, to keep on persevering in prayer. Because it's easy to lose heart in the face of challenge and opposition and to give up praying for ourselves and our sisters and brothers around us. God's encouragement here is don't give up, keep on praying. And that's the second thing to notice about this verse. The emphasis on supplication or your translation might have the word request, which means the same thing particularly supplication or requests for all the saints or all of the Lord's people. In light of the real spiritual battle that we're in, we're to persevere in prayer for each other. But what does it mean then to pray like this in the spirit? Now, we need to think hard about God's scriptures here to understand this little phrase, pray in the spirit. Some people have taken this as a reference to praying in tongues that is supernatural, non-human, spirit-gifted speech, which is mentioned in other places in the New Testament. Specifically, praying in tongues is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. But this verse here in Ephesians 6, notice, is addressed to all of God's people. We're all to be praying in the spirit at all times in every prayer. Whereas the New Testament tells us that the tongues are a gift that the spirit gives only to some. God never promises to give the gift of tongues to every believer. If you want to chase that up, have a look at 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14. So praying in tongues can't be what praying in the spirit means here because it's applied to everybody. Well, other people connect praying in the spirit to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, which I mentioned a moment ago. We're told in those verses that when we don't know what to pray, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. But I think there's a bit of a difference between the situation in Romans 8 and what's being described here in Ephesians 6. In Romans 8, the situation Paul is addressing is when we're overwhelmed by suffering around us and we just don't know what to pray. And as we bring that overwhelmed feeling to God, he reassures us that the Spirit takes what's on our heart and turns that into a prayer to our Father. But here in Ephesians 6.18, the tone is a bit different. The tone here is one of proactivity. The encouragement here is to be active, to pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer. Keep alert, always persevere in requests for God's people. The situation in mind here is not one where you don't know what to pray, but where you might be tempted to give up praying. And Paul's answer to that is, keep on praying in the Spirit. Well, then what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? 
I think it's prayer that's prompted and guided by the Spirit. Well, how do I know if my prayers are prompted and guided by the Spirit? Well, we saw yesterday that the Spirit and the Word always work together. They are inseparable because God is one. The Spirit's sword is the Word of God. So prayer that's prompted and guided by the Spirit will be prayer that's guided and in line with his word. It means praying in a God-honouring way for God-honouring things and in accordance with God's revealed will. Now, there's a contestant, George, on Australian Survivor at the moment, okay? Confession, long-term Survivor fan here. Anyway, George from Bankstown, as he keeps calling himself, he talks about praying to the Macedonian Jesus that he won't get kicked off the tribe. Now, honestly, I'm not quite sure who or what Macedonian Jesus is, but praying to stay on Survivor, that is not praying in the spirit. When we're praying that our team will win the football or that it'll be sunny on my wedding day or that I'll pass an exam, that's not praying in the spirit. Now, I'm not saying those prayers are all bad. Well, I'm not sure it matters who wins the football. But God loves us as his children. He loves it when we bring to him all of our anxieties and concerns and worries, no matter what they are. So do be encouraged that he always hears us. He loves us. And he may well grant you that request. But I think Paul's encouragement here is in every prayer, pray in the spirit. Pray in line with God's revealed will as he has revealed it for you in the Christian Bible. Because when we pray in the spirit, when we pray in line with God's revealed will in his word, he promises to answer. It's like when Jesus says in John 15, verse 16, which is there at the bottom of page 24, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Well, that sounds like a wild, impossible promise. Whatever you ask, you will be given. Well, not quite. He says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. To ask in Jesus' name doesn't mean just adding in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, like Jesus' name is some sort of magical word. It means asking in line with who Jesus is, in line with his goals and purposes as revealed in the Bible. And when we ask in line with his revealed purposes, God grants that request. And this is where praying in the spirit is a way of giving your soul a cardio workout. As we pray in line with God's revealed will in scripture, we're taking God's passions and priorities and we're making them our own. It's another way, see, of massaging God's word into your soul. Praying God's priorities and plans transforms me, takes me more and more into the, the Jesus' image. So just praying for any old thing is not necessarily going to conform me to anyone's image except possibly a more selfish version of myself. But praying in the spirit in every prayer, being shaped and guided by the spirit's sword, through that Jesus transforms me more and more into his own image. Now, there's more verses we could talk about, and I printed some out on your outline there on pages 24 and 25, that, verses that urge us to not give up praying and encourage us, actually, with God's promises about prayer. But I want to jump to halfway down page 25. 
there's a heading there, what's gone wrong? Because it's clear from all of these passages that Jesus' people are to be a praying people. Yet so many of us struggle with prayer. So what's gone wrong? It's not like we haven't been encouraged to pray numerous times. I mean, if you've come up through church youth groups or been around Christian things at church or on campus for any length of time, you've probably heard talks on prayer. Why is this still an area of struggle for us? Well, three answers occurred to me. First of all, because I'm hard-hearted. I've not heeded the voice of God in the words of scripture. I've refused to really listen to what God is saying about prayer. The reason I don't pray as I ought is not because I've been too busy. It's not because I don't have a routine. It's not because I struggle to get up in the morning. The real reason is because I don't accept God's words as his word. So frankly, enough with the excuses. And I'm saying this to myself, devote yourself to prayer. Answer number two, why haven't these encouragements in the scriptures taken effect? I think it's because I have a corrupted and inadequate view of prayer. I've fallen into mere dutyism. I've forgotten what prayer is, its foundation in God's gracious action in Jesus for me. I've forgotten who enables prayer, namely Jesus, the son who prays for me and the spirit who prays in me. I've forgotten what freedom and privilege prayer is. My view of prayer has become inadequate, corrupted. A third answer, I'm sometimes stuck in a fixed conception of how prayer needs to happen. I've got a particular prayer stereotype in my head and I just can't get there. It's like sailing a boat and aiming for one particular place when the wind is blowing in another direction and I have no idea how to make the boat tack. I just can't get there. So I've given up. Maybe you identify with some of those situations. So what can we do about it? With the power of God's spirit working in us, what can we do to refresh our prayer life? Well, the first thing you can do is embrace that gospel reframing of prayer, which we've talked about already. Embrace the reality of God's grace to you and remember that he prays for you. Don't be weighed down by the guilt of past prayer failure. Jesus has taken all that guilt away in the wonderful overflow of his grace in his death for you. Rejoice in the freedom you have now as a God's child and the certainty that you have his ear. Well, all well and good, you say, but I can embrace that sort of reframing of prayer, but how do I actually climb this mountain of being devoted to prayer? My prayer life is so far from what we've been talking about. Well, I think there's lots of practical answers we can give here. First, you may be climbing the wrong mountain. It's not necessarily about having a massive personal prayer time every day. The goal is to be a person who's devoted to prayer, who has prayer as a personal priority. Now, what that looks like in your life may differ person to person. It may mean taking every opportunity to pray with other people. That's certainly a strategy I've tried to pursue. I find it really useful if you struggle in personal prayer. Every time you're chatting with somebody, let's pray about that now. Just pray. It may mean lots of short prayers. Colin Buchanan, a Christian singer, has a kid's Christian song with the line in it that I remember, shoot him up an arrow prayer. That is just 
shoot him up a short prayer. I, I consciously do that lots. If I'm talking with someone and they're sharing something challenging in their life, I'm often praying to God in my head silently, Father, just help me to know how to encourage this person right now from your word. Give me wisdom, please, right now so I can serve and love them. Just pray lots of short prayers. So know what mountain you're trying to ascend. The goal is not a prayer time that looks like five hours in the morning, you know, before the sun has risen. It's to be a person who's devoted to prayer in whatever shape that takes. Second, even if you've got the right mountain in view, you may be taking the wrong route. You may be trying to jump up a cliff face when actually you need to go another way around. For example, who hasn't tried the technique of, I'm just going to lie down here on my bed and close my eyes and pray? Sounds like such a good idea. I found it works especially well not if I do it the very last thing before going to sleep at night. And maybe getting up early is not realistic for you in terms of spending more time praying. Even though I know that's what Jesus did, as we're told in the gospel accounts, but then not every description in the Bible is intended as a prescription for God's people. Maybe praying on your own isn't going to work for you all the time. Just make sure you're taking a route up that mountain of devotion to prayer that's actually going to work for you. Third, maybe you're trying to go up this mountain of a devoted prayer life too quickly. The way you ascend a mountain is one small step at a time. And if you've not been praying very much at all, then deciding, right, I'm now going to pray for 30 minutes on my own every day, maybe that's a stretch too far for where you're at at the moment. You know, if you're not used to praying while driving, maybe be a bit careful the first time you try it so that you don't become a danger to everyone else on the road. Work out something that's going to be genuinely constructive for you in moving up that mountain of a prayerful life and do that. And maybe ask for someone else to pray for you as you do that. And fourth, make use of the different climbing equipment God provides. Do you feel like I'm pushing this metaphor of climbing the mountain too far? I'm worried I might be. Anyway, sometimes it's hard to know where to start in our praying. My suggestion is use the Spirit's sword, the Word of God, to help you pray in the Spirit. For example, Jesus didn't just encourage us to pray. He showed his disciples how to do it and gave them a model to follow, which we call the Lord's Prayer. Start with that. You can find it in Matthew chapter 6 or Luke chapter 11. The Apostle Paul often wrote down what he was praying for the Christians to whom he was writing. And I found it really useful to use his prayers and pray them for other people. And you can find some good examples in the first chapter of either Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, or 2 Thessalonians. Recently, I've been reflecting on the different types of prayers we find in the Psalms. I'm just noticing myself, I very quickly default to asking God for what I need or what's on my heart. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. God tells us not to be anxious and instead to present our requests to him with thanksgiving. But there are other types of prayer that will grow my soul in other rich ways. Prayers of praise, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of intercession, bringing other people's needs before God. Think about it a bit like 
giving your soul a different sort of cardio workout. Instead of going for a run, you're now jumping on a bike or using the rowing machine or something. So I'm trying to grow myself in the discipline and joy of praising God in prayer. I'm trying to develop a habit of remembering God's goodness to me in thanksgiving. And I want to access the power and privilege of interceding with the Almighty God on behalf of others. That'll enrich my prayer life and help me express a richer devotion to God in my prayers. But the best tip of all, just start doing it. You know, when I was a student at uni, I remember asking my EU staff worker, but shouldn't I wait until I want to pray? After all, isn't that God's real goal? He wants me to pray. He doesn't just want me to do it without the heart for it, does he? Well, the answer, which I heard then, I think is right, is that often the way God cultivates the desire in us is as we step out in obedience to him. That's how we get on that upward spiral. Let your will to honour him determine your action, and you'll often find your desires will follow. And a word of encouragement for you, this is not all beyond you. Becoming, a more, becoming more devoted in prayer, that is a real possibility for you. I know that because self-discipline is a fruit of God's spirit in you. We're reminded in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So no matter what your experience of prayer has been like up to this point, you can give your soul a cardio workout. In terms of prayer, you might not have got off the couch for a long, long time. But if you come to Jesus in faith, then his spirit is in you and real change is possible. For your encouragement, I want to finish with two stories before we chat to today's panellists. The first story is about our individual struggle in prayer. Sidlow Baxter was a man who knew what it was like to have that internal struggle when it comes to prayer. Part of him, he identified, did not want to pray, his emotions. But part of him did want to pray. He identified that as his, his will, his intellect, his will. And this is how he described his way forward. He said this, as never before, my will and I stood face to face. I asked my will the straight question, will, are you ready for an hour of prayer? Will answered, here I am and I'm quite ready if you are. So Will and I linked arms and turned to go for our time of prayer. At once, all the emotions began pulling the other way and protesting, we're not coming. I saw Will stagger just a bit, and so I asked, can you stick it out, Will? And Will replied, yes, if you can. So Will went and we got down to prayer, dragging those wriggling, obstreperous emotions with us. It was a struggle all the way through. At one point, when Will and I were in the middle of an earnest intercession, I suddenly found one of those traitorous emotions had snared my imagination and run off to the golf course. And it was all I could do to drag the wicked troublemaker back. A bit later, I found another of the emotions had sneaked away with some off-guard thoughts and was in the pulpit two days ahead of schedule, preaching a sermon that I'd not yet finished preparing. 
At the end of that hour, if you'd asked me, have you had a good time? I would have had to reply, no. It's being a wearying wrestle with contrary emotions and a truant imagination from beginning to end. What is more, that battle with the emotions continued for between two and three weeks. And if you'd asked me at the end of that period, have you had a good time in your daily praying? I would have had to confess no. At times, it seems as though the heavens were brass and God too distant to hear and the Lord Jesus strangely aloof and prayer accomplished nothing. Yet something was happening. For one thing, Will and I really taught the emotions that we were completely independent of them. Also, one morning, about two weeks after the contest began, just when Will and I we're going for another time of prayer, I overheard one of the emotions whisper to the other, come on, you guys, it's no use wasting any more time resisting, they'll just go the same. That morning, for the first time, even though the emotions were still suddenly uncooperative, they were at least quiescent, which allowed Will and me to get on with prayer undistractedly. Then another couple of weeks later, what do you think happened? During one of our prayer times, when Will and I were no more thinking of the emotions than of the man in the moon, one of the most vigorous of the emotions unexpectedly sprung up and shouted, Hallelujah! At which all the other emotions exclaimed, Amen! And for the first time, the whole of my being, intellect, will and emotions, was united in one coordinated prayer operation. In the power of God's spirit within you, give your soul a cardio workout and get praying. Just pray. And over time, you'll find your heart for prayer and your heart for God grows larger. Second story is much shorter and it's about us together. Christians in the EU at Sydney Uni, I want to encourage you that the EU's heritage, our history, is a community devoted together to prayer. I'll just share one story. When the EU started in 1930, there weren't weekly Bible seminars or public meetings or annual conferences or training courses. There were weekly Bible study groups. And the EU was clear that its mission was to share the gospel of Jesus with the rest of the campus. So in addition to the weekly Bible study groups, they resolved to start a daily prayer meeting. Weekly Bible study, daily prayer. Those first EU students saw this as fundamental to being an evangelical union, a gospel union, because they knew if we were going to reach the campus with this gospel and see people saved, then we need God to be at work in his mercy and grace. And recognising his sovereignty meant committing the need to him in prayer. And for them, that was a daily commitment together. And prayer continued to be a hallmark of the Sydney Uni EU. Our forebears in the early days stood out because of their prayer. I'll explain what I mean. Howard Guinness who was instrumental in helping form the EU in 1930, was back in Australia visiting the EU three years later, 1933. 
He'd spent five years at that point traveling throughout England, Canada, and Australia, establishing EU groups on university campuses across the world. He'd been invited in 1933 back to speak at an EU evangelistic camp. And after the camp, Howard wrote to his prayer partners around the world about EU's commitment to pray at Sydney Uni. He said this, the last night of the camp saw some of the students still unconverted, but it also saw, also saw Christians on their knees in the very early hours of the morning, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. I have known nothing like this travail for souls in England or Canada. The EUs at Sydney Uni of that generation stood out by their devotion to prayer, not to their own glory, but out of an understanding that prayer is real. God hears, he answers. Howard finished his reflection on what he'd seen in the, EU, in the EU to his prayer partners with these words. May God teach us to pray. Amen to that. I'm going to be joined now by our two panellists who are going to share something of their own experiences in prayer. I'm joined now by James and Chloe. Great to have you guys with us. James is a fourth-year media and communication student here at Sydney Uni, and Chloe uh, did study at Sydney Uni. Uh, she was an arts and social work student, uh, and now she's been working, um, serving the Lord in Spain for the last 12 years as she's joining us this year at annual conference as one of our LRLR workers. Guys, great to have you with us as we talk together about prayer. I'd like to start with maybe the ups and downs of your own experience of prayer, your own prayer life. Maybe, Chloe, we could start with you, particularly thinking about maybe how lockdown has impacted on the ups and downs of prayer for you. Sure. So I can totally identify with that fixed prayer conception you mentioned. I think for me, one of the downsides has been I've just had a really, I had an image in my head of what, head of what prayer should look like. Um, I, I should want to be there. I should enjoy it. I should have lots of great things to say. And it's been a place of frustration because, quite frankly, I get a bit ticked off at God. I've asked you to help me grow in prayer. Don't you want me to enjoy you? And yet it's still a struggle. So I started 2020 thinking, right, this is the year of project prayer. And then came lockdown. <laughs> so for me, it was about getting rid of the shoulds, what prayer should look like, and just playing with prayer during lockdown. So one thing I developed was my spiritual discipline of Spotify. I just put Spotify worship music on and just listened to other people worship until my heart started to catch up and started worshipping with it. So it was just a way to trigger prayer. Um, another thing was to take God and my dog for a walk because that was the only reason I could go leave my house was to take my dog. So I'd invite God to go for a walk with me and just chat to him. Uh, that was really helpful, just, you know, taking the pain out of it. And I think colouring in, bizarrely, taking a verse and just colouring in the verse or writing down the names of the people I was praying for and just colouring them in helped me to just stay a little bit longer praying and meditating on God's word. Those last two both involve movement. Is that a thing for you? You find it easy to pray when moving or something? I find it very difficult to be sitting for long periods of time. So the idea that I should, you know, be serious and with God and sitting was really clear. That's what prayer looks like. You, your Bible and your pen. Whereas actually for me, I'm a person who moves a lot. So it makes sense that God would move with me. <laughs> so did the did the year, the project prayer year, did it play out as you expected? Like we was it full of victory or? Was it no, hard it was work or? I mean, there were some really hard parts. Um, the challenge that 
prayer is, is not, it's like a long-term training. It didn't just get better overnight. And there were times when, um, yeah, I was really sad. Like I was in the middle of a pandemic. There are people around me with grief and loss and yeah, prayer was a place that was really hard for me. And it was hard because I had so many hard things to say, but I think it was also really encouraging realizing that that really hard stuff um, had a place in prayer as well. And God met me there. And so, yeah, it's really hard, but also a lot of joy. Thanks so much, Chloe. Uh, James, how about you? Um, what what was your experience of prayer over the last year or so, uh, especially with lockdown? I think the um, the ups and downs bit that you described before really like resonates with me. Um, and I think almost my journey with the ups and downs started before lockdown, probably, um, and has ridden through lockdown. Um, I think it really started for me in my second year of uni, I was put on the, the committee as the prayer person um, and thrown into this world of how do you make, help people pray? I don't know. I had to think of fun, creative, helpful ways to, for people to pray. Um, and at the end of that year, um, the, we went away on our like arts plus weekend away and um, our Howie did this talk on revival and the history of revival and how revivals are always started by small groups of people praying persistently. And I was just struck by the fact that I had never prayed for that. And I thought, wow, I really need to pray for this. And I won't actually pray for this unless um, someone holds me accountable. So after that weekend, I um, put up a Facebook post in our group saying anyone else want to pray for revival each week because I'm going to forget and I'm not going to want to. Um, and so, yeah, there was, a, there was, I think, about 10 of us in this Facebook group. So we were doing online before online was cool. Um, and we would call each morning, um, one, once a week each morning, um, just on um, audio and I would share some sort of Bible reflection or something. And we would pray for revival, um, world revival and for our campus. And those meetings were really interesting. In, in the week before, I would secretly hope that everyone would forget. And that I would, I'd call and everyone would not pick up and I could just keep going with my day. And I really just found them like, oh man, you're interrupting my style. I'm not sure I feel like praying. But every, every week without fail, someone would turn up and I would pray with someone. Sometimes there was five of us. Sometimes there was two of us. And it was the best. It was so good. Just I'd come out of it going, yes, I'm excited for next week. And over the course of the week, it would wear off again and the cycle <laughs> would repeat. But oh, it was so good praying with other people for revival and in response to whatever had happened that week. Um, in different people's lives. There was always encouragements and it was always uplifting. That's so, that's, yeah, that's just a great story. Thanks so much, James. Uh, other sort of things that you've done to, you found helpful in engaging with prayer, um, praying with other people, that sounds, that's been a good, good one so far. Um, James, you've got other things that you do personally to help you sort of get into the prayer zone? Um, one I mentioned just then that pops out is um, just praying in response to scripture. Um, 
often when I don't feel like praying, I just flick to, flick to a verse in the Bible where it describes God. Um, so a classic one that I've been flicking to is um, Job 38, where God says to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? <laughs> and I always kind of just sit, sit there and think, wow, that's who I'm talking to. Um, and that really helps me pray, actually. Um, that helps me go into adoration, go into praising God. And I think that uh, a key part of learning how to pray or growing in prayer for me was learning that the adoration, the praise part of prayer is actually so enjoyable. Um, there's just, God is so good and um, I can enjoy that and um, look forward to that and just spend so much time thinking about how big and great God is. So praying in response to scripture would be one. Um, another thing I do, which is um, just, a, I just kind of did it once and it worked was um, I tend to sit cross-legged on my bed. I think I started it because I used to fall asleep while praying lying down. Um, but it, sitting cross-legged means one, you, you have to get out of bed, which wakes you up. Um, but two, it, it really reminds me that I'm just a little kid. It makes me feel like I'm in like kindergarten or um, yeah, just, just sitting there like a little child um, talking to his father. I think it's, I find it a really humbling posture, which helps me to um, pray better. Remember who God is in my prayers. Remember the status relationship almost. Mm. Um, I, I think that's so interesting because I mean, the traditional way that Christians would pray would be on our knees, right? Which is a way of sort of embodying that we come humbly before God. You've you've created another way of doing it. You know, you've updated the posture, to the cross legged kindergarten pose, um, which doesn't actually sound that weird at all. Especially if we've got the spiritual discipline of Spotify and dog walking. You know, I, I think cross legged is pretty fine. Um, other things that you might do, James. Uh, my third one is. Would, I would be silence, I think, or embracing silence. I think silence is awkward. We've all experienced that over Zoom even. Silence is awkward. Um, but good stuff happens in silence. Often we run away from silence. So I started off um, at uni just intentionally taking my um, earbuds out while commuting and just saying, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to fill that time. And to be honest, public transport, not a great time to pray i used to get distracted but i think it, it helped that i at least was trying to take take my earpods out what that has looked like as i've kind of extended that is going on um kind of solo trips out so uh, i do solo camping trips more recently or um just going away for a day and embracing silence um and i think i just get one board there's nothing else to do no phone no people to talk to and so it makes me pray take a bible and and pray um i never thought that i would be like here being like yes go do that but i think i just almost built up to it a little bit and i still like sit there and just get distracted and that that story you described before i'm like yeah man amen to that but um yeah i just find getting rid of distractions really helpful um that's that's cool uh, chloe you into silence 
Not at all. I find it incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and it's been a bit of a, a challenge. I've been trying to, to stay as, as long as I can in silence till it gets really uncomfortable and then just stay a little bit longer and see if I can just grow that. But like one of the things that's helped me, a friend of mine um, organized a, a, week, a monthly retreat. We go for a silent walk beautiful scenery and we just go for a silent walk we're committed to being about three cars distance apart so we wouldn't talk um, and we'd spend an hour or two hours just I'd take something I was wrestling with and just use that time to be silent moving but silent um, with the promise that when we got to the end I got chat with people all the way home so is this silent so you can think or so silent so you can pray or silence so, like what is it um, for me, uh, everyone uses it differently, but for me it was to not have stuff coming in, like not be attending to other things. Even I got in a habit of reading the Bible on my phone and that's very vulnerable to WhatsApps and emails. So I think it just is really important to make sure that I am cutting myself off for everything that will come in and distract me because I'm really vulnerable to that. Um, for me, walking in nature isn't a distraction, it's a prompt. Um, but also that commitment to say, I'm just going to set this time aside and I'm just going to pray. And the walking helps me stay there. You mentioned to me earlier, Chloe, that you've deliberately tried to put yourself in the orbit of other people uh, who, who, who you sort of aspire to be alike in their prayers. You want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah, so there are just some people that when they pray, they're grace-soaked, Bible-infused, just legends. And I think, in a sense, prayer for me is contagious. So I have one of those people who I meet with monthly to pray. And, yeah, that starts to form my prayers. I also get an email almost daily from a guy called Scotty Smith, just taking scripture and praying through it. And I don't always read it um, and pray through it, but when I do, it's just a real blessing to, yeah, have that prayer modelled. So while we're on that, Chloe, are there other sort of things that you've used in your prayer life? Like other sort of, you talked about that email that comes in. Do you, do you, do you I don't know, do you use apps or do you use prayer letters or? Yeah. So I remember at uni, I read um, Carson's Call to Spiritual Reformation and he talks about lists, you know, having lists. Prayer Mate really heaps, helps me keep a track of those lists because I'm a bit of a mess. So that's really helpful because I can have lots of prayer letters come in and and can attend to that like regularly it will remind me another thing that's just recently been very helpful um i've been praying for the the town i live in and in genesis um yeah there's this bit in genesis 13 17 where he says the land that i'm giving you, you walk through i'm giving it to you so i've got that and i'm going the land that i'm walking through has been given to jesus um so i go through at 1 17 every day wherever i am i stop because of that promise and I, I use that Genesis 13, 17 as like an alarm clock to remind me to pray for the place where God's put me. Uh, I want to move on to then just um, sort of as we come towards the end, just any other sort of experiences or other sort of um, things that you've done that have really helped you deepen in your own prayer life. Um, I don't know, do you have any tips, James, any suggestions for us? Uh Similar to what you said in your talk, just give it a go. Just start praying. Um, I, I think as well a key part of that is ask, ask God. Um, I often start my prayers, especially when I'm not feeling like praying, with Spirit, come help me pray. I'm not going to want to. Um, and, and just seeing God answer that prayer, God loves answering that prayer. Um, God wants you to to pray so of course he's going to help you so be encouraged that 
God delights in answering that prayer. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Chloe? Yeah, I think also not knowing what to pray. I've been looking at the brokenness and the needs around me and just asking that question, how does the gospel answer those? Because then that gives me the things that God's already doing to ask him for. So if I'm seeing, you know, people that are vulnerable and marginalized, then I can pray that they understand the dignity that they have or that they're made in the image of Christ. And the other thing that's been really cool is praying with people from different cultures. You know, so I pray with the Nigerian church. That's really increased my stamina. And the Latins have taught me a lot about passion because they're very emotional and passionate in their prayer. Sorry, stamina. What do, you, what do you mean by stamina? Nigerian church starts at 10 in the morning and I'm often not finishing until 3, 3.30 and a large part of that is worship and prayer. So literally putting in the hours. <laughs> There's a cardio workout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's been, that's been so good just to hear how God has been growing you both as you both sort of just climb that mountain of a devoted prayer life, just it's just been really encouraging. So thanks so much for sharing. Um, we've really been blessed by that. Thanks, James and Chloe. Uh, and James, I think you're going to close out this session in prayer for us before we have a break before prayer and reflection groups. Yep, let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we can pray. I thank you that we can speak to the Lord and creator of the whole universe who is powerful. I thank you for the privilege of prayer. I thank you that you hear our prayers and listen and act. I thank you that we are talking to someone who is powerful and yet listens. Help us to see prayer for the great gift and privilege that it is. Help us to treasure prayer in our hearts. Make us as a union and as your people better prayers. Help us to have hearts that long to pray. Help us to find joy and peace and satisfaction in praying to you, praising you, adoring you, bringing our problems to you. Help us to commit to disciplined praying, praying, to commit to continuing to grow in our prayer, to commit to spending time away from whatever else we want to do to keep praying. Make us so quick to bend our knees or maybe even sit cross-legged um, in prayer in all things, expand our prayer horizons that we might not just pray for ourselves, but take great joy and comfort um, from praying for so many different things in your world. Thank you that you hear all our prayers, including this one, not because of anything we have done, but all because of Jesus. Amen. Amen.